0: Previously, on Little Bit Leave It. Welcome back to Little Bit Leave It, the podcast where we talk Love Island UK in the USA. My name is Ben and I am by myself today because we are going on a trip through the West Country. That's right. We are going to go to Cornwall, we are going to go to Bristol, and we are going to have Jacob Waller tell us everything we got wrong about Bristol. This is combining three different deep dives from three past episodes covering season six of Love Island UK, and of course you can support Little Bit Leave It at patreon.com slash littlebitleaveit for just $2 a month, or really as much as you want to give us. Uh, but zero is fine too, of course. So yeah, enjoy.
1: Ali Williams, Viscount Clifton. So Ali is like nobility. He's kind of a big deal.
0: So, so Viscount, what is that?
1: It's in the line of heraldry.
0: The line of heraldry?
1: I don't fucking know. I'm American. <laughs> this is an American podcast. It's like royalty or something yeah he's kind Clearly of like you take this deep dive way differently than i do i'm like hanging out on instagram you're like opening the encyclopedia britannica <laughs> it takes all kinds folks so he is heir to i probably should have looked up how to say this too len, len hydrock estate in cornwall which is worth 9.2 million pounds so yeah he's fancy he likes to tell girls that he, quote unquote, owns Polseth Beach, which two private landowners and some national councils own together. So he doesn't really own it outright. Plus, oh. it's probably his daddy and his granddaddy that own it. So, you know, Ali is like kind of a douche, which I had said from the beginning, The Chuck Bass vibes abound. There were some articles complaining about how they all got norovirus, and it must have been sweeping through in the beginning because he was gone after this. So they all had the shits. And uh, in South Africa, the electricity and water were not reliable. So they had no plumbing and norovirus.
0: When was in the show? In the
1: show, in the last few days, because Ali had it and he leaves. So it it was while... All of this was going on. So
0: while all of this we've been watching, and so this is research. You, in your research, you discovered of
1: British tabloids. I mean, in again, British
0: tabloids. You discovered the that they had norovirus and no plumbing. Yeah, that's a pretty bad combination. You're gonna
1: have a bad time.
0: Do you think that's actually why he left? No, because to me, there's
1: another conspiracy. There's another theory as to why he left.
0: But that would make sense if you've got diarrhea and there's no toilets. I'd be like, yeah, I'm out, guys. I, my ex-girlfriend, I'm still in love with her. I forgot. I, I forgot I'm in love with my ex.
1: I own a castle, <laughs> motherfuckers. Yeah. <laughs> but they don't live there. They live nearby in Cornwall. So let's talk about Ollie's hobby. He likes rugby. He likes going to the gym, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And he likes hunting. Okay. So he was recently in hot water uh, for posting pictures with a dead deer. First a live deer and then a dead deer after a hunt. Hmm. And he's called himself a conservationist and hunting is conservation. And when it comes, you know, listen, we live in Staten Island, right? We have a deer problem. Apparently I've seen like three deer in the last year and a half, but we have a deer problem. You can't hunt here, but I get why hunting is good to maintain the woods balance, right? Sure. Fine. It's trashy to post pictures of it. But again, like I sort of get it. But, 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 but before Ollie was even on the show, he posted pictures of himself on Instagram Big game hunting in Africa. Really? Which so enraged the public, and rightfully so, that over 35,000 people like signed a petition to pull him off the show. They were complaining to ITV. So people think that he was pulled off the show because they got so many complaints about him hunting.
0: That's interesting. So I did a little quick research into Ali as well. He did some type of charity event or fundraiser for an anti-poaching organization like right before he got on the show. So that would explain the timing of that charitable activity, I suppose.
1: Yeah. So because he posted those pictures of the animals in Africa, uh, activists were like calling his parents house. Wow. And leaving threatening messages. And so they increased security around the estate and around their house. And they moved out of the house temporarily. Man. Yeah. So, you know, those vegetarians, man, they're spicy. Yeah. Also, one thing that needs to be clarified is Ollie cheated on an ex nine times, right? Mm-hmm. Like that was the girlfriend before. Oh, that one, wasn't
0: the one he went.
1: No, that was the one he was with for four years.
0: Okay, this is the this is a different one. This is the
1: one after. This is the most recent one. Right. Okay. So and they were together for eighteen months and they separated because of the distance. She was in London. He was in Cornwall. After January of this year, when all the articles were like, "Oh, Ali's back and he's back with his girl," I have seen no other articles discussing his.
0: So he's been out of the public Well, no, except for this
1: deer hunting. This deer thing. He's still got an Instagram. I looked.
0: Yeah. It's
1: rich people and like him being hot. Good for them.
0: Yeah. Hunting deer, not that crazy. How far? Do you know how far London and Cornwall are? I don't think they're that far. A couple hundred miles, maybe? I was curious about where Ollie is from, right? So Beck mentioned Cornwall, which is the southwest tip of england and you know known for beaches right so that's why he loves bragging about the beach that he pretends to own how far is it from from london not
1: quite five hours about 261 miles
0: okay so this is what i was i thought would be fun to do i didn't actually do it but i was thinking that we should build a uh, a comp set for uh, love island right so there are 410 People per square mile in Cornwall, right? So that's less, that's much less dense than Staten Island, which is, I think, something like 10 times that density, right? Like 4,000 people per square mile. I was thinking other than Staten Island, we could talk about Long Island, Rhode Island, Grand Island, which I think is, I think Grand Island is in New York, I think it's I think it is. I
1: have no idea what And I then maybe is.
0: Catalina Island to get some some geographical more geographical diversity and you know when we want to compare things on Love Island to other places we can do other islands I was thinking.
1: Wow. No? That was a lot of words to say one sentence.
0: Anyway, back to Cornwall. This is the cool thing I thought. So, it's this little you know, small little part of, of England, but it was kind of its own kingdom. Or at least they have a very distinct heritage and the kind of their own little ethnicity there. They're actually recognized Cornish uh, as an ethnicity in Europe.
1: As are the game hens. <laughs>
0: have, as are the hens. And they've got their own language, Cornish, which is more related to Welsh. There are Celtic people, the Cornish. They were um, not... Really, con- like they were eventually conquered by the Anglo Saxons, but you know, they weren't really conquered by the Romans too much, so they maintained mostly independence. They had their own kingdom in that like southwestern and southeastern part of England that also included Devon, and they lasted there until maybe so like the mid ninth century. Uh, one cool thing is that, uh, like the British legends that we know about, like King Arthur. That I th- A lot of that is related to the Cornish. And they had this guy, King Mark, who I thought was really funny because he was the cuckold king. right? So his whole f- claim to fame is that in legend, he sent his nephew to go pick up his wife. And his nephew... Picked it- up
1: his wife! <laughs> That's Yay-o! right!
0: You got that one. So in any case, they... Aligned themselves with the Vikings at one point they were aligned with the Vikings against the anglo-saxons I thought that was cool. And then they were very happy. I think about that Norman invasion because that got rid of the anglo-saxons And brought their allies from France or at least not their enemies. There's a cultural connection between um, the Cornish people and the people in Brittany uh, who were also Celtic and fled the Anglo-Saxons kind of from like the eastern part of the old kingdom there. So people now speak Cornish again. It was extinct in the late 18th century. But of course, like everything else, the hipsters found it. And about 120 or 115 years ago, some early, early hipsters decided they were going to revive Cornish.
1: Well, they were hipsters before everybody else. Yeah, they were
0: they're the true hipsters. They were hipsters before they were hipsters. <laughs> Other kind of just interesting stuff, I don't think we can ignore that this dude is super, super rich in an area that that is kind of backwards. I looked this up. There are only two places in the United Kingdom that qualified for economic development grants when they were part of the European Union. Cornwall was one of those two. So this is, you know, uh, a place that is actually has some of the poorest parts of england
1: oh he's like smithers just like sitting there in his like giant castle you mean mr burns yeah (laughs) can you tell i like didn't didn't watch the simpsons
0: which i still find amazing (laughs) yeah i mean i watched a few
1: i'm like so it was
0: like they had a lot of mining and now they just have like tourism and that's all they've got yeah so it's kind of like i don't know i was trying to think it's, it's kind of like our alabama or something like that in the united states i mean
1: there are beaches in Alabama.
0: He's like the Duke of Alabama. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now that's a script we should definitely write.
0: The Duke of Alabama. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a good idea. And we've already got our star,
1: Ollie. Of course.
0: So that makes it time for our deep dive. Today we are going to pay tribute to Shawnice and talk about Bristol. I think it'll be fun.
1: I was surprised. It was really interesting. Really? Bristol has a cool history.
0: Well, do you want to tell us a little bit about it?
1: No, that was it. That was my deep dive.
0: Oh, okay.
1: I just gave a thumbs up and I realized that nobody could see me but Ben. Okay. Bristol is the most populous city in Southwest England. The population in 2019 was 467,000 people which is less than Staten Island, which was almost 475,000 people. So suck it, Bristol.
0: But I think that's kind of interesting. Bristol and Staten Island, about the same size, huh?
1: Yeah, they're about the same size, but Staten Island is better than Bristol in almost no ways.
0: <laughs> okay, so well, what, what makes Bristol so great? Come on. Well,
1: so you know how Shawnice is talking about going to the Disney store?
0: Yeah, they don't have one in Bristol, yeah. So
1: they're right across the River Severn. It's about 50 minutes driving or by train. Oh. So it's faster than me going to the West Village. Interesting. From here, anyway. Right, from here. It's at the confluence of two rivers, the Frome and the Avon, like the Shakespeare Avon. And so obviously that made it a really good place to set up a civilization, Flint tools between 126 and 300,000 years old were found there, indicating the presence of Neanderthals during the Middle Paleolithic era. Wow. Yeah, that's old as shit, right? Yeah. There were also Iron Age and Roman buildings in the area. It's been called Bristol, basically, since the 11th century which was ye old English for the place at the bridge. The oldest standing buildings in Bristol. St. James's Priory from 1129. Then Bristol Cathedral and Great Gatehouse from 1140. There's also a 12th century church, St. Mary Radcliffe. That is the tallest building in Bristol.
0: Well, that's the tallest building in Bristol? Yeah. So... Bristol does not have very many tall buildings, does it?
1: Or it's a tall-ass church.
0: (laughs) Or it's a really, really, really tall church in Bristol, which I guess maybe comes from, yeah, Bridgetow. Bridgetole.
1: Bristol received a royal charter in 1155, like making it an official place. There was a Jewish community from the late 12th to the late 13th century when Jews were expelled from England. It was the first county in England, established 1373. From the 13th to the 18th century, Bristol was among the top three English cities after London in tax receipts, Bristol, York, and Norwich. However, during the Industrial Revolution, it was surpassed by Birmingham, Manchester, and Liverpool, which I would think of now as the bigger, the bigger cities that aren't London. Right. For sure. Okay. I hope everyone's enjoying their history lesson. If you don't, then you're in the wrong podcast. Bristol was the starting place for many voyages to the New World. Uh, On a ship out of Bristol in 1497, John Cabot, who is a Venetian...
0: What? Cabot is a Venetian name?
1: I'm guessing he was just rolling for the Venetians. Okay. I I don't... You know, like Columbus was sailing for the Spanish.
0: Uh Uh-huh.
1: So he became the first European to land on the mainland, North America. And in 1499, William Weston was the first Englishman to lead an exploration to North America.
0: And where was he from?
1: He was from Bristol. In the 16th century, they started doing a lot of trade with Spain and the American colonies. Illicit trade became a big part of their economy after 1558.
0: What do you mean by illicit trade?
1: They developed a smuggling ring with Spain during the Anglo-Spanish War from 1585 to 1604, sending food and guns to the country they were in a war with.
0: Wow. Yeah, I could see why that would be illicit
1: Yeah, and so obviously it was a big launch spot for transport to the colonies. It was the center of the UK slave trade, carried over half a million people from Africa to the Americas. Wow. Bristol and Liverpool were part of the Triangle trade route. Plantation goods were delivered to the British aristocracy. England's slave trade was illegal in 1772, but they sent slaves to the US until 1807.
0: Wow, Uh, these Bristolians... They really, as I will also talk about, they're quite independent and stubborn people.
1: Yeah, they are their own special posse people. Uh, So the ports began failing by 1867 because ships were bigger and they couldn't navigate the twists in the Avon River. And just when they thought they were fucked, the tobacco industry swooped in and the population quintupled. Yes, quintupled in the 19th century and, and grew steadily in the 20th century.
0: So they make cigarettes there.
1: Yeah, they're well, I'm going to talk about that in a minute. This is like a basically every geography report you wrote in like elementary school. Here are the important things in history, here's their economy, here's the population. So give me a minute, okay? It was heavily damaged in the Luft- Luftwaffe raids, Luftwaffe raids of World War II. And as they started to rebuild in the 60s and 70s, it brought mid-century modern architecture and skyscrapers and roads
0: so is that church we talked about before still the tallest building at this point or i mean now i'm thinking this is a really tall church right it could be huh
1: there are some tall ass churches in europe there are seen some so here is where you can tell i had a million other things on my plate right From 1971 to 1981, the population dropped 40,000 people. Wow. But there was no reference. It was a really detailed site about the history of Bristol. It might have been Wikipedia. But they said nothing about it. Then I read that bungee jumping was invented there in 1979. And is it a coincidence? Hmm. Hmm. That's a lot of people in two years. But if they were pioneering it, it could have been a rough road.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's... Think about the development of uh, bungee jumping. I could see they could face a little bit of a population decline.
1: Yeah. So the docks moved south to Avonmouth and now Avonmouth, probably. Avonmouth.
0: I like (laughs) Avonmouth.
1: Yeah, Avonmouth. And that was renovated into a leisure area, restaurants, shops, and a mall, etc. On June 7th, 2020, a statue of... Edward Colston, who is a huge slave trader, was torn down and pushed into the harbor.
0: I remember reading about this. Yes, yeah,
1: me too. It was taken out of the river on June 11th and will go into a museum. But you know what's really interesting? There had been talk since 2018 of adding an explanatory plaque to the statue. So while they were pussyfooting around what they should do with this super upsetting statue, finally, good for the people. Right, Yeah. We fucked some shit up. This leads into another little bit of racist issues with Bristol. So the history is cool, but not all of it, obviously. Bristol is 84% white. In 2017, the Runnymede Trust found Bristol ranked 7th out of 348th in England and Wales on the Index of Multiple Inequality. That's not just like, oh, they have a problem. That's 7th out of 348.
0: Wow, that's, that's bad.
1: Ethnic minorities are disadvantaged in England overall, but worse in Bristol, especially black groups who have the third highest level of educational inequality. So get your shit together, Bristol. The fuck. In other news, there is the West Country accent that Shawnee's has that someone comments on. Who comments on Shawnee's accent?
0: I think uh, Ollie does, right?
1: Yeah, so I don't really have anything to say about it because it doesn't sound that strange to me, but I'm going to read a quote. Linguist Stanley Ellis described Bristolian as, quote, a cranky, crazy crabapple tree of language and with the sharpest, juiciest flavor that I've heard for a long time. Does that make you think of Shawnee's talking? Because it's kind of a miss for me.
0: Sharp and juicy?
1: That does kind of describe Shawnee's though.
0: we think about how she talked about the Red Hot Chili Peppers, for instance... Right? And heavy metal. Yeah, it was very sharp and juicy.
1: I Ew. like that. Yeah. The current economy, besides the tobacco industry, aerospace is a big part of their current economy. They made World War I and World War II fighter jets. They played a key role in developing the Concorde. Airbus and Rolls-Royce are headquartered there now. And Cameron Balloons, the largest hot air balloon manufacturer, is based in Bristol. And they host a yearly ballooning festival.
0: Well, isn't that special?
1: It's also home to Ardman Studios. What's that? Wallace and Gromit. Oh. Maybe I'm saying that wrong, too. Ardman. Ardman. Not to leave you on a too negative note, it was named one of the world's best cities in 2009, according to the DK Eyewitness series. Best city in Britain to live in 2014 and 2017 by the Sunday Times. And the EU's Green Capital Award in 2015. Apparently, it's a really green city.
0: And it has a lot of tourism, right? A lot of tourists go there, I imagine, for the historic sites, I'm guessing. And it's got the rivers and, yeah, Wales is nearby.
1: You can go to the Disney store. You can go to the
0: Disney store in Cardiff. Sure. So, like Shawnee's Bristol has some idiosyncrasies. For example... There is a clock on the corn exchange building in the historic downtown Bristol. And let's put aside for a moment the issue of why people were exchanging corn. Perhaps it's a weird local custom.
1: No, it's Uh, like a stock market thing. The corn market exchange, right? Like orange juice, pork, corn. Oh,
0: see, I was thinking that maybe people got there and they traded corn. With each other. But I guess, yeah, you'd trade corn for other things. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Makes a lot more sense.
1: Oh, no. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyway. Anyway, they've I
0: got mean. this clock there. A clock. And the clock has two minute hands. Why is that, you ask?
1: Why is that?
0: Thank you. As railroads became important with the Industrial Revolution, it became important for everyone to know exactly what time it was. But it also became important for everyone to agree on what time it was, right? So otherwise, how do you know when the train is actually on time and when it's going to arrive? That's when Greenwich Meridian time became a thing and time became standardized. But a few places in the UK did not appreciate being told what to do. Bristol being one of them.
1: Ooh, that's so Staten Island.
0: (laughs) It is. Maybe Bristol. We keep saying that Essex is the Staten Island of England, but I think maybe Bristol might be the Staten Island of England. It's hella racist.
1: Essex is the Staten Island of London.
0: Oh, okay. So Bristol could be the Staten Island of England.
1: Sure. But I haven't seen enough yet. Yeah, it's hella racist. Staten Island's hella racist.
0: And we've got historic Richmond town. They've got the corn exchange with the two minute hands. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. So Bristol... For five years after the introduction of standardized time in Britain, ran 10 minutes behind the rest of the country, which I think is just really funny. So its public clocks had to show two times, the standard time, the railroads used, and of course, Bristol local time. And in case you thought the uh, people of Bristol had changed their ways, think again. In 2012, they decided to introduce their own currency, the Bristol Pound. Convert your British pounds sterlings into a currency that can only be used in the Bristol area. And even within that area, it's only accepted at about 800 businesses.
1: So there has to be like one bank that handles the pound, the Bristol pound.
0: Yeah, I don't even think you really take them to a bank. I don't think banks are necessarily involved with the Bristol
1: pound. What are you
0: doing? So the idea is that you take your British pounds and you go to convention and visitors authority, or maybe it's their economic development authority. You go to this government agency and you change your British pounds for Bristol pounds and the Bristol pounds, you can use them at these certain stores. And the idea is you keep money in the local economy and it just kind of recirculates among these stores. They call it like a a multiplier effect. So the same Bristol pound that's used to pay for dry cleaning could be used by the dry cleaner to, I don't know, buy some tea and then the person who sold the tea can go use the Bristol pound to, I don't know, pay their energy bill. Because you can actually pay your power bill in Bristol pounds if you're a customer of Good Energy, Bristol's 100% renewable energy provider. Talk about compounding benefits, right? This episode is sponsored by Good Energy, Bristol's 100% renewable energy provider.
1: Yeah, see, Green City.
0: Green City. There you go. Uh, unfortunately, to actually achieve those economic benefits, the use of the currency has to be you know, widespread enough. And the Bristol pound does not seem to have gotten there. So around the time of the onset of the global coronavirus pandemic, which, of course, is now still with us.
1: Yep, it's still now.
0: Still with us. We can safely say that even though we're recording this about a month before it's actually going to be uploaded and live for all of you to listen. But anyway, around the time of the start of the global coronavirus pandemic, local newspapers were reporting the entire Bristol pound project was about to be shut down. The usage of the currency had been declining. But I think we should hand it to them. While their ancestors only managed to maintain Bristol time for five years, today's Bristolians managed to create and maintain their own currency, for even longer. So, kudos to you, Bristol.
1: You're an odd duck, Bristol.
0: An odd, racist duck.
1: Yeah, get your shit together. Be best, Bristol.
0: All right, well, today, we are going back into Bristol. Shawnice is just such a dominant character on the show, we couldn't avoid it. Also... We screwed up a few things, we left a few things out. So today we have a fantastic guest, Jacob Waller. He is from Big Yellow Praxis, he lives in Bristol and he is gonna tell us everything that we got wrong. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and Big Yellow Praxis?
2: Hello, hi, my YouTube channel is Big Yellow Praxis and I do music stuff. I do a music podcast, I do songs, I play little jam tracks and things like that for my YouTube channel. But basically we do music stuff. I say we, it's really just me and my guests who I get on, who are random people. Could be anyone. <laughs> and I talk about underrated music. That's what my podcast is. So it's underrated, overhated, and just kind of going through the history of music and just finding things that are underrated and underappreciated and chatting shit about it, basically. I'm no expert, necessarily, but I like to portray myself as one. But yeah, so I'm, I'm not uh, like a genuine Bristolian. I'm not from here originally. I'm from not the north of England, from near Scotland, an area called Cumbria and I have moved here a few years ago. Bristol is very different to where I was brought up, which is very rural and very small. So this is one of the things that you wouldn't be able to pick up just from reading about it online, is that Bristol's a kind of cool, trendy, very hipster kind of place. Do you want me to just go through your list of what you, what you got wrong? Because <laughs> well, there's a few minor things mainly.
0: Yeah, I would love to hear that. And just to quickly say, so our listeners, we have talked about Newcastle. We've talked about where else up north. Becca? Inverness. We get. Yeah, we talked about Inverness up in Scotland. Talked
1: about the Jacobites or mm-hmm. the Jacobites. I think we've been saying it wrong. Not sure.
0: Ja- Jacobites. 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 We've been
1: saying it wrong. We might. Yeah, have we. To issue we've been it saying something.
0: it wrong for weeks.
1: That's so American <laughs> of us.
2: I was gonna say, that's the main thing. You know, I've got a little list here of um, the things you got wrong. It's mainly pronunciations, which is not your fault. It's it's British English is a nonsensical language and accent. So that's fine.
0: (laughs) I don't know. If we had done better research, maybe we would have gotten the pronunciations correct. Well, I
1: looked it up for the Wales one, for the Mary Lloyd. I did a lot of pronunciation research on that, but...
0: Yeah, I guess with Welsh, you kind of expect to have to do that.
1: Yeah, lots of yeah, W. Yeah,
2: that's true. That is true, yeah.
0: <laughs> Tell us, what did we get wrong? What did we mispronounce? I guess that's a good way to start is mispronunciations, and then we can get into yes. any like factual corrections.
2: Well, before I said Cumbria, and you said Cumbria, but that, I think that's just because I have a very northern accent. My accent is like the Starks from uh, Game of Thrones, so I uh, exaggerate my use. That's just, again, British accents. There's, there's tons of accents, and they're all very weird. <laughs> but yeah, so... The Avon River, which goes through Bristol, I guess this is it's the Avon and the Frome, even though it's spelt the Frome again. It's not really your fault, it's our fault. We, we just, we don't make any sense.
1: Did we say the Avon River? That's me, that's all me. From the <laughs> stupid cosmetics company. Blame those MLM ladies.
2: Confusingly, it's not the same Avon River of Shakespeare fame. I think across the entire of the UK, there's about seven Avon Rivers some of which are actually quite close to each other. Um, And it's a different river. It's weird. I know, again, I'll take responsibility as a British person because it's not, you know, how would you know any better? (laughs) Norwich uh, is a city rather than Norwich,
0: but it is spelled Norwich, but it's Norwich.
1: Blame Connecticut. Norwich, Connecticut.
0: Oh, yeah. We have a city in the US not far from us, and it is spelled the same way and definitely Mm -hmm. pronounced Norwich, right?
1: in the Northeast, we've bastardized a lot of mm-hmm. English towns and yes. terms. So I expect plenty <laughs> more of those.
0: Okay, Norwich, duly noted.
2: And again, you got, I know you guys definitely pronounce this differently in America, but it's Birmingham rather than Birmingham. It's, again, that's just the way we say things, Birmingham.
1: All right, none of them were terrible except for the damn Jacobites. <laughs> they weren't. Whoops.
2: So interestingly, you, you, you mentioned John Cabot who sailed from Bristol. He was the first to get to America or, or whatever. I can't even remember my history. But he was a uh, Vienni- Venetian, was he? I think he was. You asked a good question, which is, well, was that actually his name? Um, and his name was Giovanni Caboto or something like that, I think. Giovanni Caboto, Yes. And it was Anglicized because a lot of sailing was done from England at the time, especially from Bristol. So that's why he would have been known as John Cabot in British history. We bastardize words as well. You know, it's just it's just what we do. Jacob,
0: I will say that I learned about John Cabot in American history class probably when I was a little kid, third or fourth grade here. So eight or nine years mm-hmm. old. And I definitely did not learn that he was Italian. I definitely did not learn that his name was Giovanni uh, Caboto. <laughs>
1: Maybe. I don't know. I don't remember. There was a lot of them. I think we focused more on the Spanish conquistadors. Maybe we... Hudson, obviously, got a lot of air of time. But
0: I just think it's interesting that American textbooks would kind of omit that and play up his Englishness.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's strange. That's just how history goes, isn't it? It's unfortunate. (laughs) There's an interesting comment that you made about... um, I think you said you were reading someone's comment on the Bristolian accent. And I think they said it was a sharp crab apple or something like that.
1: Yeah, he was a famous linguist, apparently.
2: So it's interesting. So that's something you wouldn't necessarily get without knowing something about the broader history of Bristol. Because I think you're right, because the Bristolian accent isn't sharp. It's actually quite nice and lilting and soft, I think. Yeah. That's how I always saw it. It's because it's the same accent that the hobbits talk with in Lord of the Rings. The The famous like pirate accent is basically a West Country accent. Huh. Yeah. Um,
1: Well, that would make sense. Sailing, ships.
2: I think that the linguist, whoever it was who was talking about the Bristolian accent, will probably be partly influenced. And this is something you wouldn't understand necessarily without going to Bristol. Because when he makes a crab apple comment, it's probably partly ironic because cider is huge here. Like It's it's what people drink in the West Country. It's very famous as a cider area. I think it's an inaccurate description. I agree with you on that. But... Yeah, cider is a big thing here. So it's probably kind of playing on that. And I think a bit weirdly. Um, So cider, that's another cultural thing that you wouldn't necessarily get that it's cider here. And it's very much a hipster kind of city. And it has been for, I don't know, maybe 10, 15, 20 years.
1: Looking better and better. It's a vacation spot that I like cider. I like, I can, you know, (laughs) I like laughing at a good hipster. I like hipster food. I'm down. Yeah. We might have been hipsters if we were younger when hipsterosity really (laughs) became widespread. Oh, we
0: were hipsters before they were hipsters. Yeah,
1: exactly.
2: (laughs) Thank you. The ultimate hipsters, yeah, yeah. Sorry, the final pronunciation. This one's not English, it's German. It was the Luftwaffe. uh, It was the German Air Force who who bombed a lot of Bristol. Because a lot of the center of Bristol, a lot of the older buildings, a few churches still have shrapnel marks from the bombs. They're visible in quite a lot of the old, the old center of town, which is obviously a bit dark, but it's like interesting history, and you, it's, there's quite a few bits of it around.
1: I love that stuff. In the Chase Building downtown on Wall Street, you can still see the marks from the bomb, where um, was who,
0: it? Sacco and Vanzetti.
1: I think it, yeah, it was Sacco and Vanzetti ah. planted the bomb, and there are still holes in the wall.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Thankfully, we've never had air raids in new york city
1: oh one more though and you know this is british american history so you might appreciate this uh bowling green downtown manhattan right by the ferry there was a fence erected that used to have little crowns on the top of each you know vertical post Ah. and during the revolution the americans cut off all the crowns and to this day you can still feel the tops are uneven and cut
2: ah wow that is cool i like that um So I'm trying to think, so corn exchange, you mentioned a corn exchange and you got very confused, I think, by that, which is interesting. Because I think most British people would be uh, a bit confused by that as well, because it was literally the place where people brought cereal crops, whether it was corn or wheat, to trade them. And it was just like a marketplace, and most big cities have one. It's really just straightforward, exactly what it is, but it's not just like there was one or two, each city had its own. And now they just tend to be filled with, I don't know, like market stalls or just like event space and things like that. So they're, they're very old timey. And most of the time, I think I've been to a lot of places and being like, what even is a con exchange? But a lot of cities have them.
0: I think that might be one where we were kind of playing dumb.
1: Yeah, we do that sometimes. I pro- oh, were you? I promise that some of our dumbness is play. But so far, all of the other dumbness that you've mentioned was legitimate.
0: Oh,
2: it's so hard to tell. It's probably possibly like the, the, the kind of Atlantic difference in sense of humor because British people famously we're ironic or something i don't know or sarcastic dry exactly we're supposedly very dry I, I don't really know because that's all i'm used to but um i'll try to work out where you're playing dumb <laughs> whether it's like real we don't always know um, we
1: fool each other sometimes it's a weird thing it's you know our son is it's only four and a half and he also is in on it now so yeah it's always mm-hmm. an interesting dinner conversation
2: (laughs) (laughs) oh and you made a comment about the size of buildings in bristol yeah because the the tallest building is the church which is true saint mary of Redcliffe. it is quite a big church it is genuinely a relatively big church but it's about 89 meters which is big for a church but britain doesn't really have skyscrapers except in london and maybe a few in manchester and a few bigger buildings in birmingham but really we don't have them even in relatively big city so bristol doesn't have anything that i would call anywhere near a skyscraper
1: okay so that website then must have used that word for some kind of building that would hold multiple purposes but yeah we were trying to figure that out like a you know a 900 year old church how is that the tallest if now they're building skyscrapers so okay thank you for clearing that up because that was bothering me too
2: it's weird they shouldn't use the word skyscraper it's just it would be a relatively tall, I don't know, like building of flats or something. It's not really a skyscraper.
0: So, Jacob, I have one real big question for you. Have you ever bought anything in Bristol Pounds?
2: Oh, I was good. Yeah, I was going to get to that. Bristol Pounds is just it's, it's never been taken seriously. I, do, I don't know anyone who's ever taken it seriously. So I first came to Bristol maybe eight years ago when I was hitchhiking. Um... Whoa, whoa,
0: whoa. Back up a second. Back yeah. up. You hitchhiked to Bristol. Yes, yeah. Where were you hitchhiking from and why?
2: Uh, so I was at university at the time. I was in Cambridge. I hitchhiked and um, in the first day, I met one of my favorite guitar players from a rock band in a random um, like service station on the motorway. And then I managed eventually to get to Bristol, and I have a friend in Bristol, so I stayed with them for a couple of days.
0: You're burying all all the leads here, Jacob. Who is the guitar player you met? What band is this?
2: Okay, okay. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, a lot happened, I guess. So the the guitar player, he's called Scott Gorham. He's a Californian. He was in the band Thin Lizzy, who were like a seventies okay, yeah. uh, hard rock Irish yeah. band. Um, and he was he was super nice. He was really really chilled out. I think he was more surprised that someone recognized him than I was that I saw him.
0: (laughs) I'll say I like a lot of Thin Lizzy, but I probably would not recognize Scott Gorham on the street or at a gas station. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah i think yeah he was pretty surprised as well because i was i don't know how old i was at the time 21 22 and i think he was like oh who's this kid and how does he recognize me i've not been recognized for years uh but it was cool it was good meeting him uh, but i remember coming here and seeing bristol pounds you know signs for it like maybe up in shop fronts but i don't think even then that was probably the peak of it around 2013 14 something around there i've never known them to be taken seriously I know, for example, buses would have accepted them in a few independent marketplaces. I think it was an attempt at a bit of devolution, sort of a bit city independence, but it never really took off. And I can't imagine why it would have. It was, you know, pegged one-to-one to the pound. There's, there's no there's no benefit to doing it, really.
0: No, in um, fact, that's what we joked about. It, It only restricted how you could use the money
2: yeah yeah exactly yeah there's there's no utility to it it was a bit weird but it was it was a noble effort i guess i see the spirit of it
1: (laughs) and so bristol time how about the bristol time zone because i thought that was really fascinating too how it was like a 10 minute difference from regular time i guess
2: yeah that wasn't something i was aware of um specifically so that must have finished a long time ago. But I think that would have been relatively common across Europe. I've definitely read about it before, especially in more rural areas. So back then, rural communities, even within relatively close distance of a big city, would have preferred to use what they considered local time. So it would have, there would have been a wide variety of times, whether it's France or Germany, it would have been very, very inconsistent. But Bristol, you know, it used to be like the second city yeah. in, in the UK for a long time. These days, it's kind of seen as because it's in the west country, it's more of a provincial. It's the provincial big city compared to Manchester or Birmingham, which are very very well connected via the motorway and like trains. Whereas Bristol's a little bit more out of the way. So once upon a time, it would have been very 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 cosmopolitan, and it still is because it's still very hipster. But it's a little bit out the way, so. That's where you get the association of, like, the Bristolian accent and the West Country accent is a bit kind of hobbity. It's the Shire. It's a bit cheese and cider around a bonfire and a bunch of farmers. That's kind of the, the association of the accent, I think.
0: Is it more like Chicago?
1: No, or, Chicago is still huge. I was thinking St. Louis.
0: Oh, that's St. Louis bad. used to
1: be a huge deal. It's right on the river, the Mississippi River, gateway to the west, yeah. part of the south. You know, it used to be a huge, huge spot. And now it's just a spot. You can't fly direct. The few times I've been there, I've never flew direct. Yeah. Well, we drove from Chicago. Right. But I've been there a couple other times. and uh,
0: That's interesting. So Bristol, obviously, we, we touched on its role in the slave trade. And that's probably why it was mm-hmm. the second most important city. as the port and the slave trade, we assume.
2: Yes. The city that kind of most immediately took over bristol back in maybe the 18th century as the second city would have been liverpool which again it was a big slave trade um city and even today so the the legacy of slavery is still a big part of today in bristol you know there are tons of places named after colston uh, edward colston yeah can
1: you talk a little bit when you finish this thought about the toppling of the statue into the harbor because i thought that was really cool and last summer was really big on a lot of fronts and a lot of places for civil rights
2: so Um, Colston was just one of the wealthiest slave owners, I guess, in the city and a big benefactor towards public schools and things like that. Well, he has tons of things named after him. There's a school, uh, there's Colston Hall, which is a a venue. Uh, And a lot of these, Colston Hall being the biggest, are changing their names or have already changed their name because of obviously the association with a, a slave owner. And there used to be more pubs. I can't think of any pubs now that are named after him, but there used to be a few. And I think they've kind of dropped over the years, changing their name from... I don't know, the Colston Brewery or something like that to just like Bristol Brewery or something simple like that. And obviously there's, there was a statue of him um, right in the center of town, which for years had, you know, things put up in protest against him. And it was always just, you know, maybe a placard or something. And people had wanted it to be taken down for a long time. And obviously it hadn't. And then things kind of came to a boiling point as it were and it was taken down so I guess my personal thoughts on it: it is a public space and it should have been a publicly decided thing in the first place and it never was so it went up at the tail end of the Victorian era this this statue to kind of commemorate what was seen as a public great public benefactor to the city but it was always off the back of private money and obviously a public space should never have as far as I'm concerned It should always have been a public decision. And it wasn't at the time. Maybe it should have been later in the 90s. But that decision was basically never given to the people. And people broadly were progressively more and more against it staying there. And I I think it's perfectly legitimate to just tear the thing down. And I think most people in the city, at the very least, aren't particularly bothered by it, if that makes sense. Most people are either indifferent or in support of it. The police, they literally just stood back and watched it happen. They were basically just there ensuring people's safety, which I think is a good example of policing during kind of civil disobedience, if that makes sense. And it was basically just torn down and obviously just thrown straight into the, the floating harbour. And I've never really heard much of a pushback from people. <laughs> there, there's not, you know, I'm not necessarily plugged into um, nationalistic or particularly patriotic circle so i'm sure there were people who did object but for the most part i think people were either not bothered or in support of it because i think most people see it as in itself a kind of historical event i mean this is what history is right these things happen and i think most people to sum it up either don't particularly care or we're quite happy to see it go. no
1: i think that's awesome i think that's great
0: yeah and i think you're absolutely correct in thinking about the parallels between all of the statues that people took down last summer and historic acts of vandalism that we now celebrate.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like yeah, cutting yeah. the
1: crowns off the fence at Bowling Green.
2: There you go. And it's true, you see, um, you know, there are churches now that have, I don't know, vandalism from the 13th century etched into the wall and that becomes like a part of its history. I'm not saying people should etch things into the walls of churches at all, but it's the, these things do happen. And then, you know, you give it enough time, it's seen as an important part of history. And there were some interesting things that came out of it. So I think within one of the legs or one of the limbs of the statue, bits of newspaper from the day it went up or something like that. Um, So it was a bit of a time capsule with what they actually found inside it, which I thought was really interesting. Yes, it's, it's a weird little story.
0: I also find it really interesting what you said about how the police were mainly there to ensure everyone's safety. And certainly, you know, in the United States, we saw police departments last summer have a wide variety of responses in similar situations, most of which were not. Hey, let's just let's just make sure everybody's safe. That's not how the police, uh, for the most part, handled stuff. No, here in the United they States.
1: said everybody's safe, so let's fuck some shit up.
0: Yeah. We also have been following the news, and we've been seeing that more recently some of the confrontations between Black Lives Matter and anti-racist protesters and the police have really been centered in Bristol.
2: Um, and I think those later interactions have been a little bit less positive than what what happened during the, the toppling of uh, the Colston statue. So it, it kind of speaks a bit to what you were saying as well about Bristol being a comparatively racially unequal in terms of like economic outcome city compared to a lot of other places in the UK. And Bristol is actually amongst the less ethnically diverse, larger cities within the UK, like Birmingham and Manchester and London in particular, are very, very mixed. And it probably is partly to do with it being a little bit more provincial, a little bit out of the way. hasn't seen as big of a recent influx in, for example, Bangladeshi, Pakistani and Indian immigrants that Birmingham, Manchester and uh, London has, I guess. And I think that is probably part of the legacy of why it still falls behind a bit in that kind of inequality compared to like birmingham it feels a little bit more segregated in terms of people where they live it's a bit more this is an african caribbean area and this is a kind of do you know what i mean every city in the world has that to some degree but bristol has it a bit more than say manchester or birmingham
0: interesting sometimes what we do in some of these segments, we also talk about things that people should do when they go visit various places in the UK. And at some point, we will compile all of these into the official Little Bit Leave It travel guide.
2: Oh, I wanted to say, um, so there's a history of, as you pointed out, uh, pirates and things like that. Oh, Bristol, it's obviously one of the things it's kind of most historically famous for. There are still um, a lot of the smuggling caves and places where smuggled goods would be hidden a lot of those caves are still obviously there um around the center of town which is like there's a big harbor there um and they're open like one day a year when you can go in and it's basically there's tons of hidden tunnels and caverns and things like that under a lot of the city it's not quite like um like paris has big catacombs it's not quite that intense but it's uh it's quite cool i've never actually been down there yet but um I need to go one year because they open it up once a year and you can go in and see all these secret little places. It's quite cool.
1: Next time they do it, we're going to keep an eye on it because, you know, we're fully vaccinated. We're coming. We're going to go look some strangers (laughs) and explore some caves.
0: (laughs) When does that happen during the year? So
2: I think it's around July or August. It's kind of summer-ish. Bristol opened doors or something like that. It's like a little day where tons of places like, open their doors and just kind of let people... Yeah, I think it's, a, it's like, a big thing now, isn't it? A lot of cities do it.
0: Apart from exploring the caves, like, what else do you think... You know, not maybe mm-hmm. not the most traditional touristy things to do in Bristol. Obviously, people will go see the harbour. Mm-hmm. What are the things that you love about Bristol? What are the things that you think are really what makes bristol uh, a great place to live i guess do you think it is a great place to live i guess we never touched on that <laughs>
2: yeah i i do so i've lived all over the uk i've lived in where i'm from originally which is a small town quite rural really uh, i've lived in cambridge and liverpool and i've lived in birmingham and obviously now bristol and i think liverpool is also very nice it doesn't deserve the bad reputation it gets it gets a very bad reputation in the uk it's a very rough place i don't think it's fair these days but bristol i think is probably my favorite place that i've lived so far and yeah i like it a lot i think it's great it's there's tons of things to do it's in a nice area as well in terms of like what's around the city so you can go to nice parts of the, the countryside around it there's a city called bath nearby which is originally roman and there's tons of edwardian uh, architecture and stuff like that there so there's tons of things around it and inside it but i guess if If someone's visiting, it's hard because a lot of the... It it can be quite touristy, but it's never super touristy. It's not like London. It's not even like Liverpool. Liverpool, you go there and it's very, very... (laughs) Unsurprisingly, a lot of it is very Beatles-oriented. You can go to certain parts of the city and there's just Beatles memorabilia. And London has that with, you know, like the buses and the Tower of London and Big Ben. Bristol, even though it is a big tourist draw, never really gets crazy. So you can do the really touristy things and you're not going to be too rammed or too unpleasant and it's never too tacky it's not just people selling mm. crap to you do you know what i mean it's it can still remain quite nice if someone is visiting you you definitely shouldn't avoid the harbour just because it is quite touristy there's a there's an area called clifton i would almost describe it as bath in bristol because it's similar to the city of bath in that it's very nice and there's lots of nice architecture everywhere we have a beautiful cathedral We have that big church, which in fact I think is bigger than the cathedral, um, university buildings and things like that. There's an area called Gloucester Road. Um, It's it's kind of a a series of roads, kind of goes from Stokescroft up a bit called Gloucester Road, which is just like nightlife, restaurants and cafes. Um, And that's like kind of peak hipster area, I think I would describe it as. I think it's more the diversity of things than any specific one or two things that you can do. We don't necessarily have, like, um, super world-famous restaurants, one or two world-famous restaurants, so much as a lot of good food you can eat. We don't have those one or two visitor attractions. Like, London has a few that I could name physically. It doesn't necessarily have that, but it has a lot of things compacted into a small area. The the city centre of Bristol feels much bigger than it is because you can walk around and you're in the old town which has the corn exchange and an old st nick's market which is again hundreds of years old and you can walk along a bit and you're in the floating harbor which is a big open space with loads of water um and you can walk along a bit and there's museums walk along a bit you can get to clifton which is up a hill and you've got these beautiful sites you've got this big suspension bridge which was one of the first of its type built in the world. It's just, it's more that it fits so much inside like a little tiny space that it makes it great. That
1: deep dive was not easy to do. There was so much that we had to condense it to what you actually heard. And I do remember reading that the bridge was the first, but then I was going to end up in like a spiral about architecture and, you know. Yes. I was pleasantly surprised by how hard that was to put together.
0: You know, you mentioned there's not maybe that one or two famous restaurants, but what are your favorite spots? What's your favorite type of cuisine? Is it just pubs that you like to do in Bristol?
2: Especially for an American going to Britain. The thing that Britain does, and I I always say this, I've never been to America, so I can't necessarily comprehensively state this, but no one seems to do pubs the same as Britain. And I, I've seen enough of American media to know that your pubs are different. Our pubs are more... It's like your living room that you're drinking in and people come in. It's almost that kind of feel. It's very, very... Again, it's I keep coming back to Hobbit, but if, what you see is a pub in like the Shire, what you would imagine is a kind of classic British pub. that Every city has... Bristol has loads like that. Just loads and loads. And pub food can be very good, but it's quite straightforward. It's not necessarily like high cuisine, but it's someone's coming from America in particular. And Bristolian pubs, you know, for the cider... And, you know, there's lots of good food. They're the kind of things that I would recommend. Because there are lots of, like, there's good pizza restaurants in Bristol that are really, 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 really good. But it's a pizza rest. Do you know what I mean? Like, you're not necessarily coming to Bristol for that. Um, so, yeah.
1: I'm a Staten Islander, so I'm very, like, particular about pizza places. I cannot let you go toe-to-toe with me on that one. We probably have, like, pub replicas, but it's not the same. Yeah. We've both been to London. We've both spent some time in London. So, Bristol, you know, I would expect to have that same pubbiness. But I just wanted to give a little context for Ben's question, because we have done a decent amount of traveling in Europe. We went to Amsterdam a few years ago, and it was a bank holiday, and it was just mobbed. A lot of British people, actually. A lot of bachelor parties mobbed. Mm -hmm. Wall-to-wall-to-wall-to-wall. So we didn't get into any of the big museums. So ben and i wandered around the jordan for a while went into like a local coffee shop went into some local restaurants and we enjoy that kind of tourism just as much so when we ask those questions like Mm -hmm. we are very likely to take those kind of suggestions when we end up somewhere am i
0: no yeah yeah that's right i mean that's how you really get to know a city i think is by talking to the people who really live there yes yeah yeah Yeah, finding that pub that maybe uh you won't find any other tourists at
2: i was just gonna say so it's, it's it's probably a little bit risky asking me that because i quite often like a pub specifically because it's dingy and unwelcoming and it that has a it has the the kind of feel that i think is appropriate to a pub. so mm-hmm. if you're asking me i can give you some specific recommendations but they may they may be like oh if you're really looking for that dingy feel oh i would recommend these mm-hmm. places and there's one specific area called old market a little bit east of the, the main city center Which is a little bit dingy, and there's loads of pubs down there. There's some really nice ones, there's some pretty dingy ones, and that's a nice part that's not touristy at all, but still has a lot of nice things going on. So, yeah, that would be my specific recommendation.
0: What was the name of that restaurant again, or that neighborhood? Uh, Sorry, that neighborhood.
2: uh, It's called Old Market.
0: Old Market. Okay.
1: Write it down. Tick. Got it. Ticks all the (laughs) ticks all the boxes.
0: Also, you're in a band. You're a musician. Can you tell us a little bit if we have listeners who want to go check out live music in Bristol, where should they go, what should they expect?
2: Um so it's really like depends on what you're after. Again this is so because I'm in a like a folksy Americana country band, which is there's not a scene for that in Bristol. <laughs> that may surprise you to hear. It, that's just not it doesn't really fit into any scene like, you know, before lockdown we had gigs and stuff and we did well enough. Um, but we're, we're kind of swimming upstream, as it were. Uh, but Bristol has like a history of kind of uh, electronic music and things like that. And um, in the 90s, there's a few big bands like Portishead, who are actually from just outside Bristol, from a town called Portishead, which may surprise you. A very
1: seminal part of my high school experience. That was like the makeout record among me and my friends.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, of people our age. So we're 30, right? Both of us. You are. Yeah, you are too.
1: No, I'm not. Plus. When
0: we were in high school, if you had a girl over, you put on the yeah. Portishead album because, you know, every teenage girl in 1997 wanted to make out to Portishead. You were
1: going to get to second base for sure.
0: <laughs> and then it was replaced by, I think, Blonde Redhead a few years later.
1: Oh, God, I don't even remember. I did not realize
0: that Portishead was from the Bristol area. That's cool.
2: Yeah, yeah. But again, because it's such like a hipster town and there's a, I guess there's two universities in Bristol. There's a big confluence of all kinds of scenes. Like, I used to go to tons of jam nights, turn up with my bass guitar or whatever, and some places could be, you know, you'd have someone on the decks and someone rapping and then someone else playing jazz guitar at the same time and I'd be sitting there playing slap bass or something. So it could be any random mixture of anything at a jam night. Um, in terms of the scenes, uh, again, there's kind of a broader punk scene and alt-rock scene, I, I guess. Is, is probably some of the bigger ones. But this, there's still that kind of electronica and UK hip-hop is, is still part of it. Uh, it's still relatively broad, but... It's yeah, it's hard to sum it up other than it's a bit of a melting pot and cuz again two universities and a bit of the hipster feel means there's there's a lot of things going
0: on. Should people head out to Gloucester Road to check out that music or where do they check it out?
2: Yeah, so that that, that is a good place for someone who's like seeking you know there are like gigs up there as well as like jam nights as well as uh, open mic nights. You on a random night you could go to three different pubs and see three different things, you know, a specifically booked act and then an open mic night and an op- and a jam night just in the same night just in three different pubs there's so many pubs up there, I have no idea how many there are. I mean, there could be 30 up just the entire stretch of the. It's a relatively long, long road, by the way. I know we're, we're famous for our drinking, but isn't <laughs> it maybe not that chock a block? But, you know, there's a lot of different venues up there.
1: Cool, I'm excited. Yeah, oh. I know.
0: I'll probably bring a guitar. No,
1: I, I probably won't. It's <laughs>
0: actually hard to bring guitars and airplanes as you. Ukulele. Know. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> ukulele or one of those little travel guitars.
1: Is it unfold? I can just imagine like a folding guitar. How would that work?
0: I haven't seen that yet. I made that up. (laughs) The hard thing would be the strings. You'd have to restring it every time, I would imagine.
1: Yeah. I don't know, man. I don't play the guitar and I don't think that exists. So stop (laughs) arguing with the physics of a non-existing thing.
0: Cool. Well, is there anything else that we really got wrong or that we missed when we were talking about Bristol?
1: Have you ever taken the ferry to Cardiff?
2: No. um, I'm not sure how practical that would be. (laughs) Um, I'm just
1: curious because I know you can drive. It's about the same time. Okay, so Staten Island is connected to Manhattan by a ferry that's super, super well used. A lot of people commute to work that way. Ah. It's always very touristy. So I was excited when I saw that Bristol had a ferry over to Wales because Shawnee's talks about going to the Disney store in Cardiff.
0: Right. Which we got a huge kick out of that. Oh, I go to Cardiff to go to the Disney store. We're like, what the hell?
1: (laughs) Yeah. And so I wanted to see how far she was going to go by stupid mickey mouse crap and it's about the same amount of time driving or taking the ferry which i also thought was interesting it's a lot faster to get to manhattan by ferry in certain regards yeah i don't know i was just curious
2: i didn't even know there was a ferry but i don't go to cardiff very often like so south wales generally isn't too far away from here the bridge is quite straightforward and quite quick but i don't often go to cardiff anyway so i wouldn't know but i've never heard of people taking the ferry i i can't imagine it's a super popular option but it may be more the other way. I think it's probably quite quite common for people to commute from Cardiff into Bristol. But yeah, I don't know how, how popular the ferry is.
0: All right. Well, we definitely need a guest from Cardiff, yeah. I think.
1: We'll
0: right? have to yeah. figure around. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to find somebody to, to shed a little bit more light onto this. But uh, Jacob, we really, really want to thank you. Jacob Waller. His YouTube channel is Big Yellow Praxis. He lives in Bristol, but he's lived all over the UK. Check out his music, check out his YouTube channel. Thanks so much, Jacob.
1: Do you want to drop any socials?
2: Yeah, yeah, sure. So I'm easy to find on Twitter, Instagram, like all of the all of the socials, <laughs> just Big Yellow Praxis basically and it will come up. Yeah, I keep it simple. <laughs>
0: yeah, and welcome. and we didn't spell it before, so we'll do it now. Praxis P R A X I S. Yes, thank you. Dig it. Cool. Thanks so much, Jacob. And hey, maybe someday we'll have you back to talk about why English people would choose to play Americana music.
1: Yeah. Get (laughs) get Mr. Mumford on the phone while you're at it. Exactly. It's like a Mumford and
0: Sons because they're English, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thanks so much, Jacob. Yeah. Thank you. you.
1: Bye. (laughs)